0: Good morning and happy Easter, how's everybody feeling, yes, good, couple of you feeling good, we'll get the rest of y'all there, we'll get, we'll get you there, it's good to see y'all, um, that was a y'all, that was a heavy southern y'all, wasn't it, good to see y'all, we in the back woods, good to see y'all, um, good to see you, it really is, happy Easter to you, I hope that uh, you and your family are well, we're, we're thankful you're here, beautiful time just to gather and worship and to celebrate Jesus, that's what it's all about. Beyond the nice Easter attire and um, that everybody seems to, to like to get dressed up today. I was trying to decide, do I want to do a, a jacket and this? And I'm like, it's just going to be like 88 degrees today and I'll be sweating, chasing my kids around. So I just went with the classic t-shirt. <laughs> so uh, it's good to good to have you here. If this is your first time at Fathom I and mean, you're just kind of checking us, checking us out here on, on this, this special day, um, we just hope that it feels like home, not... Um, just in that there's good coffee, but that it, uh, there, there's a warm fellowship and that you feel at home, comfortable, and that this is a place where you can grow in faith and family. And we're looking forward to what God's going to speak in this time. And if this is maybe your first, second, third time, we just want to tell you, welcome home. Welcome home. And so that we hope that it feels like that and uh, just make some new friendships and soon they'll become family. And uh, we're looking forward to what God's going to do we got a fun Easter egg hunt and all that stuff later, but I know God's going to speak to us through his word. I do want to give you kind of one thing that's coming up that I want you to know about. Here in two weeks, we're starting a brand new series called This Is Us. Yes, we ripped the title from the very popular TV show, which I have not seen yet because apparently it's a tearjerker, and it's like I just don't need that going on in my life right now. So when it gets to Netflix, I'll probably do the same thing I always do with Netflix. Because the way my thing is with Netflix is like you either have time to search for shows or to watch the shows. And so I just search for shows, so I never actually watch anything. But you'll be like, hey, have you seen that show? I'm like, I've seen it on Netflix, but not actually seen it. So when I, when I tell you I've seen it, that's what I mean. I didn't actually watch it. <laughs> I just saw it, that it is a show. So, but this series, this series is going to be about relationships and um, we're going to be touching on a lot of different things. We're going to take it from the end of April all the way through the end of May, and we're going to be touching on a lot of different dynamics that we need to lean into, some that will apply to you very specifically, like singles. We're going we're to lean in there for you, and the us is me, myself, and I, so we're going to do a little me, myself, and I, us, and then um, we're going to do some mine, theirs, and ours, you know, situation. Many of you are in, in blended family situations. There's a lot of dynamics, and I think God's Word is so rich to the wisdom that, um, like, for our lives. And so we're going to be talking a lot about kind of relationships and love and dating and singleness and marriage and all that stuff. So uh, invite folks out. We're starting that in two weeks, and so it's going to be a good, good time. And uh, I might even watch an episode before then. But today we're going to, we're going to dive into the, the Word here in just a moment. I started thinking as I was preparing kind of just for Easter and thinking about the resurrection and reading through the Scriptures over the past couple months, The thing that I couldn't get away from was Jesus' final words. Not just, it is finished, but really, after the garden, Jesus' statements get less and less. Like, there was a lot of preaching. He did a lot of talking, you know, that we see throughout the Gospels. But by the time he he makes it, like, from the garden after that, there's just a few phrases that Jesus Let's from his lips, and so I want to talk about those. But it got me thinking about some other like famous last words. Uh, Here's here's a couple of them right here. Uh, The first one is uh, good old James Brown. Anybody a James Brown fan? James Brown he he passed away on Christmas, I think of two thousand six or two thousand three. I can't really remember, but he told his manager that morning, "I'm going away tonight." And later that day, he he passed away. Famous famous last words. Another one is Leonardo da Vinci. Not as like sweet as as that one. He actually said, "I've offended God and mankind because my work did not reach the quality it should have. Mona Lisa was not good enough." But it gives you just a very deep awareness of what he was thinking as he passed from this earth. That nothing was ever good enough. And then one that's very you know familiar in recent days. We've all all, all watched happen. Through the news is Steve Jobs. His sister recounts that his last few words were, oh wow, oh wow, oh wow. Um, So that's kind of uh, stunning. I actually had a mentor who um, we we had traveled out of the country. That morning he he told us, we were in the airport, and he said, I could really use a new body today. He, He said those words. And then later that night he would pass away. And then right before, as he was passing, his wife recounted to us that he looked up and said, oh wow, same thing Steve Jobs said. So I don't know if you've ever, you probably never really thought a whole whole lot about famous last words, but that's where God was directing me today is to explore and look at Jesus' last words. And so we're going to dive into those. I want to begin in John chapter 19, and uh, we'll pick up when Jesus has been arrested and he's standing before Pilate, who is the Roman governor, and he's arrested, and he's now being tried, and so there's like a formal, you know, um, trial ceremony for Romans, and so let's let's read this, and we'll kind of digest as we go. Roman, or uh, excuse me, John chapter 19. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns, and they put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe, and they went up to Him again and again saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they slapped him in the face. Once more, Pilate came out and said to the Jews gathered there, Look, I'm bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, Here's the man. As soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, Crucify, crucify. But Pilate answered, you take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. The Jewish leaders insisted we have a law and according to the law that he must die because he claimed to be the son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid and then he went back inside the palace. Where do you come from? He asked Jesus. But Jesus gave no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me, Pilate said? Don't you realize I have the power to either free you or to crucify you? And Jesus finally answered, you have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. So there's there's a lot going on here that I just want to let you see a little bit contextually, and then we'll lean into what this means, I think, in our, our current time, what God might be speaking to some of us in the room. There's always been this, like... The Jews have this long, long history, and their most recent history up to this point has been kind of rough. They were exiled, and, and they're just now a couple generations into some stability, and there's this weird relationship where they kind of hate the Roman Empire because they're being taxed at super high levels, and so they're really annoyed with it, uh, and they're not really able to, to freely worship completely, but they also really appreciate the stability economically. It's, it's really nice. It's kind of a love-hate relationship. And there's always been this tension because for the Roman Empire, there is but one God and one king, and that's Caesar. And what's interesting is you read further down into this text, it's not the Romans who are shouting out, we have but one king, and, uh, or God, and we have one uh, king, Caesar. It's the Jewish leaders who are shouting, we have but one king, So this people who are God's chosen people and they have one God and his name is not Caesar, they are now saying, we've got one king and it's Caesar. And so their their mentality is so kind of warped at this state and, and where they're actually bringing him before this and where Pilate's like, look, he's innocent. They're actually saying at this time, no, he's claiming to be the son of God, which in the Jewish law is blasphemy. But Jesus came and he had proven himself over and over and so what's that saying to us and what's being said right there and why is Jesus silent and why does he respond to that statement of, hey, don't you know I have the power to crucify you or to set you free? And for some reason, Jesus felt the need to say this phrase, and I think this is the, the first one I want to lean into today, is that you have no power in that except that which has been given to you. And for some of us, like, we come in here and we really believe that, that we're in control. <laughs> and I, I, this happens a lot with my son when we're, uh, I'm teaching him to ride a bike. He's six, and so we go out to the park, and I'll grab the back of his seat, and he believes that he is riding, and he starts to get confidence, and my forearms are getting a really good workout as I'm holding this, because he's shifting back and forth. But he thinks that he's in control, but as soon as I let him go, like, he... He, 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 like, starts to wreck and gets scared, and like, grab me, like, he wants it. Again, and, but how many times do we do that in our life, that we, we kind of think we have confidence because we're our life is held in God's hand, but as soon as we kind of say, oh, no, I got this, and get confidence in ourself, things start going awry. And I think that's where, where God would want us to, to lean today. What's so interesting about this text is that for for Pilate, he thinks that he's in control, and he thinks that he has the power, and the Jewish leaders are shouting, and they're, they're giving this kind of great argument at his arrest and at his trial, and they think they're even in control. The people have the power here, it, it seems. But what's interesting is that if you look at Psalm 22, there were over 300 prophecies um, from Genesis through, like through the Old Testament That were fulfilled in the life of Jesus. But look at just one chapter from an author that we don't often call a prophet, David, who was Israel's great king. Look at Psalm chapter 22. We don't often refer to David as a prophet, but look here, this one chapter, and all these different prophecies that would be fulfilled while Jesus is there hanging on the cross. That he would be mocked, fulfilled in Matthew 27. That he'd be pierced, water flowing, his bones out of joint, but not broken. John 19, that he would be thirsty, John 19 and Matthew 27, pierced hands and feet, John 19, that, well, and everywhere that he's crucified, uh, lots cast over his divided garments. So out of one chapter, a thousand years written from a guy who is like Israel's everything. I mean, it's the star of David, like he's their kind of big deal in their history. That's what they want the Messiah to look like and, and hear Jesus in this moment When they think that they have control, if we look, God's always had this. Nothing had gotten out of control. Nothing's been out of sight. And for anyone that comes in here today and and maybe you feel like life's out of control, I I just want you to recognize it may be out of control for you. But it's never out of control for God. It's never out of control for God. And, And that... And I think this is so powerful for us to grab a hold of just to begin because Jesus was making a a, a statement that again would take him to the cross and that he indeed was God. If my father had not given you the power, you wouldn't have it. And so there's this understanding that Jesus is saying, well, you're the son of God. And so he's proclaiming that. And this is important that that we understand that Jesus was fully God because he was the only apt sacrifice, the only of not only available, but, but the only perfect sacrifice. And according to Jewish law, it needed and must be a perfect and spotless sacrifice. And Jesus was the only one. And so I just ask you today, like, hey, is there something in life like where I, I think I've got control of this? And it's kind of spinning out of control. And I just need to understand that God's got control of this. God's got control of this. Second phrase is, is just a, a little further on in the story where Jesus is now hanging on the cross. And it's always been one that's a little bit difficult for me as I, when I first read it. And then I take a step back and I'm like, oh yeah, he's saying something bigger here. And it's Matthew chapter 27 um, and it says this. Now about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a lo- loud voice in Hebrew. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You ever looked at that and be like, That's weird. Like, why here at the last moment when Jesus is hanging there, did God really forsake Jesus? Is Jesus really doubting God in this moment that he's taken him all this way, 30 whatever years of his life, and now finally in this moment, he's like, God, you first suck me? And is he talking about himself, right? I mean, we just established like he's fully God. And so now he's saying, I have forsaken myself. You know, that doesn't really make sense until we kind of take a step back and look at maybe a footnote in your Bible or study on the context here. And Jesus is actually quoting that same Psalm, chapter 22, verse 1. And this is what it says. For the director of music to the tune of Doe of the Morning. You guys know that one, right? Let's sing that one. Just kidding. Um, A Psalm of David. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my qu- cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you don't answer. By night, I find no rest. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In, our, in you, our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. To you, they cried out and they were saved. In you, they trusted and were, put, and were not put to shame. And so when we realize that Jesus was actually reciting A prayer, a psalm of David that I think is one that we can all identify with, one that speaks to Jesus' not just being fully God, but fully human. Nothing is more real and raw when it comes to humanity than the psalms, because 70% of the psalms are complaining just like, you've forsaken me, I've given up, but there's always a yet moment, there's always a but moment, but you are a shield for me, you're the lifter of my head, but you uh, are enthroned as the holy, One. there's always a but, there's always a yet in the Psalms. How many of you feel like, like, you know, 70% of your life's like complaining, if you'd be honest, right? And I just feel like, a lot of us, like our Mondays, like our Monday afternoons, feel like a, a Psalm of 22.1. Like, why have you forsaken me? Like, I just want to give up. What's interesting to note here is that while Jesus is hanging on the cross, Luke accounts that Jesus actually recited another Psalm, Psalm 31.5. And he says this, into your hands I commit my spirit. So the popular belief here is that Jesus, a rabbi, one who had known the scriptures in deep detail and understanding, to the point when he was 13 years old, he was on this stage in wowing all the theologians in the room. That's how well Jesus knew the scriptures. So reciting scripture was nothing to him. And so the popular belief is that Jesus actually hung on the cross and began to quote Beginning in Psalm chapter 22, maybe earlier, but I think he probably just began right here. And I think he ended with Psalm 31 5. Into your hands I commit my spirit. And then he said it's finished and gave up his last. And I think where this is incredibly beautiful for us today is be, and why I think Jesus pointed to that, not only because there was all these prophecies that were literally happening that had been prophesied a thousand years before, not, he's pointing to this, and he's pointing to the humanity that I have felt what it feels like to struggle through a Monday when people have forsaken you and walked out, when people have betrayed you, when they're, they're calling you names, when they've mocked you, when they've slapped in your face. I, I know what it feels like I'm not just fully God. His next words here was praying and pointing on us to a prayer that says, I know what it's like to feel that. And God sent his only son to this earth to save us, but to also feel everything. Jesus didn't skirt around one betrayal. He didn't skirt away from one single lash of the whip on his back. That he would feel deeply more pain than what we have ever experienced. And he could so quickly identify with every, if you begin to look in the life of Jesus, he experienced the breadth of emotion. He experienced it all. I just want to tell you, like if you started your week on a Monday or last night, you were in a Psalm 22 one place, God, why have you forsaken me? Just in this place today, I want you to end it in a Psalm 31 place that says, into your hands I commit." Like, God, you're all I need. Like, in whatever I'm going through, God, I just, I give it to you. I surrender it to you and thank you that you've felt this. But get to the yet moment. Get to the but moment. Get to the, into your hands. I commit my spirit moment. He's fully God. And he was fully human. And he was pointing us to that. The final phrase, as Jesus is hanging there right after he says, in to your hands I commit my spirit he says this famous last phrase it is finished he gave up his breath gave up his last there the Greek word here is the, the word teleo which means to complete an assignment to complete commands that were done to bring to completeness fullness so why did Jesus say it's finished there hanging on the cross Because I think in most of our lives, we realize it doesn't really seem super finished around here, (laughs) you know? We look at our lives, we look at the world we live in, and things still feel a little bit undone. What was Jesus saying that it is finished? He was saying that the way has been paved, everything that he's been called to do every person while he was in his physical body on this earth that he was called to heal, every word that he was supposed to preach, every disciple he was supposed to raise up, was all done. He had fulfilled every single bit of it. And it was finished. And that he had made, in doing this act, in, in willingly giving up his life as the perfect sacrifice for the repentance of sins and for the remission of sins, he had made a way when there was no way. Like, that's obviously like a, a song thing. That God made a way when there was no way. But it's, it's the reality of our eternal salvation is that he made a way when there was literally no other way. And how many times in our life have we gone through stuff where we try everything to figure it out ourselves? To prove that we're in control, and then we always find ourselves back in the "Why have you forsaken me?" and then back, in, and we get in this, we get in the cycle. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like we just get in the cycle where we kind of run this gamut, and then we finally get to this place, and it still looks undone. And, and I, I believe that, that God's just wanting us to, to lean in this morning and understand that He finished and He made a way. If you don't know what I mean by that, when I'm talking about salvation, I just want to present it very clearly to you. Because I know in a room this full that across this room, you've had many different gospels preached, and we all probably would kind of nod our head and be like, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. But sometimes we don't fully grasp the depth of what the good news of what Jesus completed at the cross for us. So I want to state that clearly for you. What he completed was, if we were wrapping a present, which I'm terrible at and my wife is amazing at, at the very end, and he ties the bow on it. And the bow was not just his his earthly ministry, but it was laying down his life. And when he ties a bow, he ties it on salvation because salvation is a gift. If you've been preached the gospel, where it was about a, a book of rules that you had to keep, and to come to Jesus, you had to get your act together. Some of you thought that today, like, or this week. You've been like, I need to be good. I'm going to be in church this weekend, you know? But that's, that's, that's not the gospel. That's more, that's more uh, Judaism than it is Christianity. Because that gospel is not good news. The gospel of good news is that yet while we were still sinners, filthy, ashamed, guilty, Jesus made a way. And he made a way of salvation that we might know eternal life. Because every single one of us have fallen short. Every single one of us falls short on an almost regular basis. And, and Jesus wants you to know today that it's, that's done. Like done. And so I, I often get this question, hey, is salvation like a moment thing? Like, a, I think I was saved. I, I know I used to have this kind of battle in my head for a long time. Like, I think I was saved. And then I, and then I, I wasn't sure, and so I got saved again, and I got saved again. Like, anybody know what I'm talking about? Like, everybody run this thing. And I had this whole kind of thing that I felt like I was, I don't know. And, and what I found is that I was really misunderstanding what grace was, and I was really misunderstanding the gift because I was basing that off of my works because I had messed up again. I feel like I need to. Jesus isn't surprised just like he wasn't surprised that he was flogged and he wasn't surprised that no bones were out of place. He wasn't surprised by any of that. And he's not surprised by your ups and by your downs. But what we have to understand is salvation a moment and is an ongoing process. The answer is Yes. Like, God, when, we, when he saves us, in an immediate moment when we confess that we are a sinner in need of grace, in need of his goodness, in that moment, instantaneously, when we put our faith in, in the gift and receiving the gift, we're, we're saved. And, like, our eternity changes. But the beauty about that is that he no longer sees us marred by our sin beat up and bruised and coming he sees us as pure perfection as Jesus gave for us. You say well well pastor like then what about these people that kind of take grace for granted? Yeah, that's that's a big deal. Romans 6. We can't take it for granted. We should never take it for granted. But what happens it's the kindness of God that brings us to repentance when you understand that God loves you so much and grace broken down and explained is this, that you get what you don't deserve. Mercy is different. Mercy is we deserve hell and we don't get it. Like being in, in the courtroom and you know, we deserve a punishment, but the judge has mercy on us and we don't get that. Grace is kind of the flip side of that coin, that we get what we do not deserve. We don't deserve heaven, but he gives it to us. That is grace. We don't deserve his kindness, he gives it to us. And so that's, that's the understanding there. But it's this ongoing process that God sees us pure and spotless. And the, the kind of big theological word is sanctification that God is drawing us into and he's dragging us, sometimes kicking and screaming And sometimes by up and down consequences that we face in this world, but God is drawing us and dragging us into the fullness and the completeness that happened at the cross. And while we know in part right now, one day we shall know fully, even as we are fully known, because we experience that in some ways now. But it is as much as it happens in a moment, it also happens ongoing that he is saving us every single day. He is bringing us from faith to faith and from glory to glory and out of uh, our our performance mentality where we think we're going to do a little jig and and please God out of that. It's it's not by the action, it's by the posture of the heart and out of the posture of the heart flows everything. That's why Jesus said, guard your heart above everything else. Or excuse me, the psalmist. Everything flows from there. And so today, like, if you're in this place and you're just feeling like things are a little bit undone in your life, you feel like, man, I should be further along than what I am now, some of you might be saying that to yourself. I wish that I could just get this act together. I just wish this was finished and we kind of see the undone. J- Jesus knows. God, God knows, and he's in control. And when we say, into your hands, I commit my spirit, and we just give him. We just give him the daily. We submit ourselves to his will and know that he's in control. He's going to take care of it. Philippians 1.6 is so true to us. He that started the work will be faithful to complete it. And so if you're looking at the undone of life, if you're looking at the unfinished, and it doesn't make sense that it is finished, know that he completed it in daily submission to him will lead us into total completeness of eternal life. And so, yes, it is a moment. And some of you, you've never had that moment where you said, you know what? I've been kind of doing this kind of pridefully on my own. And I haven't really said, you know, I've said, yeah, I'd like Jesus to be this part of my life. I'd like Jesus to kind of help me get my act together. I think this community thing's kind of cool, but you've never declared from your lips, and I don't care how long you've been in church, but you've never declared I'm a a sinner, and there is no way that on my very best day that I can perform my way to heaven and that I need Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, then I want you to declare that today in your heart, maybe to a friend or a family member in a few moments. I'm a big fan of The Office, and at one point, um... Uh, Michael uh, Scott is, is struggling with bank, like bankruptcy. He thinks he should be bankrupt. And they're like, well, I think you're going to have to declare bankruptcy. And he says, I declare bankruptcy. He just yells it. like that's. And so you just need to declare that today, that you've been forgiven and walk in the newness of spirit. You just need to declare it. And not walk in the old anymore, but walk in the new, that it's finished. Say, pastor, those are all the Satan's before Jesus died. Today's Resurrection Sunday. It's supposed to be about the resurrection. Let's talk about that as we close. Matthew 28, verses 1 through 10. Jesus comes out that tomb. Woo! After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven. And going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men, like playing possum there. Um, Then the angel said to the women, don't be afraid for I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. He's risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I've told you. So the women, they hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and they ran to tell the disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them, and these are the first words that Jesus says post-resurrection. We have an eight-month-old baby, and she's saying like mama and "Dad." Dad, now. It's amazing. These are Jesus' first words after the resurrection. Rejoice. Some translations will say greetings, and it's a poor translation because I believe the context here and what is actually being said is rejoice, rejoice. Uh, It's a common uh, Hebrew and and Greek saying at the time. They they came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. And I think we need to hear this before we close today. We need to hear this. He's alive. He's alive. He's no longer in the tomb. And and if you've had this idea that God is in a small space, whether that be a box like the Ark of the Covenant or confined to a Sunday experience, you are worshiping a very small God that God is ever omnipresent everywhere and we cannot escape his presence. What you think is happening in secret is not. And that's, that's not bad news. It's good news that we can rejoice today. We can look at him and not be afraid. He tells us, don't be afraid. Rejoice. He's alive. And then to go and tell the disciples because they I'm gonna meet with him. And I just know across this room, um, we're in a lot of different places, but here's here's what I do know is that God doesn't want you to walk away from this building today, not knowing him as you, your personal, like for you. Not religious, not the church thing but personal, one-on-one, real relationship. He doesn't want you to walk away here without that real relationship. And maybe you've known him, but it, he, he's gonna reignite that fire today, and you can truly rejoice in the depth of what he has done for you. And If you're walking in fear today, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid for what the future marks out. Don't be afraid to the things that he's gonna call you to that are far beyond what you are capable of. Don't be afraid of that. Just say yes, believe in him, don't be afraid and this message to go and tell. Go and tell. Go and tell, and there I'll meet them. And I just want to challenge you. Jesus was establishing a, a people that he had done what he was going to do. He had done what he was going to do. And now it was to them. He left the keys to the kingdom in the hands of people like Sharika and Miriam and John and Jason And Miranda, he he literally, he left the keys in your hand. And he says, go and tell. Rejoice. Don't be afraid. Go and tell. Let's stand. And we're going to come to the table. I'm going to invite you there, but let's pray. And we're going to invite you to prayer. God, thank you for this time. And thank you for the resurrection, God. Every time I think about it, I'm just more... And more, just in amazement, God, that You would do this. Every time I, I feel like I hit one of those days where I haven't been the best dad, or the best husband, or the best pastor, or just the best son and daughter of You, I just, God, I'm just reminded how much I need Your grace, how much I, I rely on You, and that You're my everything. And I just pray for anyone in the house that God, You've just been a little piece that You can control. God, You've been a little piece to their puzzle. I just pray that You would be the center of it all. That nobody would walk out of here today thinking that you are are just another man, just another prophet, just another good teacher with some good moral things to add to our life. You are Lord and you are Savior Savior, and you have made a way for us. God, and today we receive you. We receive you. We receive the resurrection we receive your goodness today. Christ's holy name. Amen. Amen. We're going to do something that we do every week around here. And uh, I want to challenge you, just in your heart, I, I, I think that God, on days like this, there, there's, God spoke some things actually early this morning, super early, you don't want to know how early, but he spoke some like very personal things to me about something that he wants me to do today, I won't go into it, but something to do today. I just think on days like this, and every day, God, there's a response of our heart to respond to the gospel, to respond to the good news in, in rejoicing and not being afraid and going and telling, but maybe something specifically in your life that God is drawing you, maybe from a place of indifference, maybe from a place of loneliness into a place of community. I don't know what he's calling you to, but the next few moments as we come and break bread and this team's gonna lead us, I want you to reflect on that. What is God calling me to? What's the response? This, is, this moment, is, it's gonna be about what God's speaking to you. God's speaking to us today. So let's open our hearts, open our ears, this table. If you wonder why we do this every week, we did a message on it two weeks ago that you can go back and listen to, but very simply, the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus said as Jesus washed the disciples' feet and they were celebrating Passover, this past Thursday would have been the time, long, long time ago, before he was resurrected on that Sunday. It's when he established this. He said, I'm establishing a new covenant, and every time you take this, you declare You proclaim my death and my resurrection until I return. So today, we declare it. We declare it with joy. We declare it without fear that we can come directly to the throne room of God. We can come directly to the creator of heaven and earth. We can come to him. So I want to invite you to come. um, Believers, come and break bread and uh, rejoice in the goodness, rejoice in the resurrection today. This team's going to lead us. Some amazing folks that are down here near the crosses to pray with you. Man, if you're making a confession, you just want somebody just to come, uh, not confession like, hey, here's all my sins, but just a confession of faith. Or if you're going through some sickness stuff or some marriage stuff or some personal stuff, you just need somebody to just pray with you. Just come on, just join with them in prayer in this time. It's a response time. What's God asking you to do? Let's come. Let's be whole. Let's celebrate the resurrection.